John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we're going to begin reading in verse 16, and then read to verse 20 this morning. John chapter 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but you know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But you see me, because I live, you shall live. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Leave off there reading in verse 20. Again, just as a matter of review, of review, I want to reiterate John 14 is the testimony of our Lord's work in our life and its results. In this chapter, our Lord focuses on faith in the first 14 verses, on love and obedience in verse 15, and on the necessity of the Holy Spirit being with the people of God in verses 16 and following. In so doing, he teaches us five things. Faith, love, and obedience are all present tense, all active, all ever-growing and increasing in the heart and soul of a believer. That's what we're being taught. Secondly, God initiates both faith and love in our life. We receive what God has given to us. Third, Faith and love are bestowed upon us by the grace of God. We do not receive them because of our works. Fourth, faith and love work in our life so that we seek God and His will and seek to obey that will. And five, fifth, the necessity of, and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in the believer if faith Love and obedience are to continue active in our life. These are the things that we've looked at in the first uh, 16 verses of this chapter. We begin this morning again reading verse 16 to keep it in the context. But I want to begin this morning with a further truth that is in this same set of verses. This truth relates to the world and to the believer. First John chapter 14 verse 17. Our Lord says even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him. But you know him. The world cannot receive him. Because they do not see him. They do not know him. But you know him. So he's setting up a contrast. Between the world and believers. But you know him. For he dwelleth with you. And shall be in you. Drop down to verse 19. Let yet a little while. And the world. Seeth me no more. But ye see me. Because I live. You shall live also. Here is this contrast. The world. And the believer. And this morning I want to look at that in these text, in this text. First, the two aspects of these verses need to be focused on, the world and the believer. The first way, thing we want to look at is the world. What does our Lord say about the world? In verse 17, he says, "The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because it does not see him." It is important for us to understand what our Lord is saying. He is not saying the world will not receive the Holy Spirit. Nor does he say the world chooses not to receive the Holy Spirit. What he says is the world 
cannot receive the Holy Spirit. They have no ability to receive the Holy Spirit. In their natural state, no sinner has the spiritual ability to receive spiritual things from God. They have no ability in themselves to receive from God. They are in a natural state. God is in a spiritual state. This doctrine has already been taught to us throughout the scriptures. We've already looked at it on a number of occasions. In John chapter 3, for instance, in verse 3 and verse 5, John 3, verses 3 and verse 5, Jesus answered on uh, unto him, speaking of Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God until and unless he is born again. Verse 5, he cannot enter the kingdom of God until and unless he is born again. These words are used on purpose. He cannot see what the kingdom of God is all about, and he cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless God does something to bring him into that state of being able to see and being able to enter. Again, in John chapter 8, we've already looked at this. In John 8, in verse 43, John chapter 8, verse 43, Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, said, Why do you not understand my speech? And then answers his own question, Even because you cannot hear my word. You cannot hear. In John 3, they cannot see. In John 3, you cannot enter. In John 8, you cannot hear. And in John chapter 14, you cannot receive. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. It cannot receive spiritual things from God. The Apostle Paul confirms this same doctrine in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 14. The Apostles preached exactly the same doctrine that our Lord Jesus Christ taught. 1 Corinthians 2.14 where the Apostle Paul says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man cannot receive the things that are of the Spirit of God. He receiveth them not. For because they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, neither does he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. To many people in the world... The things relating to God are a foolish thing. They don't understand. They don't see. They don't see why we should take our time and energy and money and come to the Lord's house on Sunday. Why don't you just go fishing? Or why don't you spend time with a barbecue with your family? Why don't you do something else? They don't understand why it is we feel it necessity to read the scriptures. They don't understand why we feel it necessary to pray. They don't understand uh, the things about God and the Lord Jesus Christ, that he should be Lord and Savior of your life. Those are foolish things to them. Why do I need that? I don't understand why I need that. And of course you don't understand. You cannot understand. You cannot receive the words of Christ. This is the state in which the natural man is in. This is the state I was in for 24 years of my life until God saved me. It was the state that you were in if you were saved until God came and saved you. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 the world seeth me no more. John 14, 19. The world seeth me no more. Now the world can see with physical eyes. In this verse, our Lord is teaching that the world could only see him in his physical state. They could see with physical eyes, but they can't see past the person as to who he is. God was standing right in front of them. 
the Messiah, the promised Messiah, the one promised by God that he would send to the Jewish nation was standing there and they could see physically a body, but they could not see that God was there. That God was there. And so he says to them, the world will see me no more. Once he returns to his father, as he has said to his disciples that he was going to, they would no longer be able to see him. But Christians will. That brings us to verse, back to verse 17. The world cannot receive, and the world seeth him no more. But, on the other hand, believers... What does our Lord say about believers? Verse 17. But you know him. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit, but you know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now I want to focus on that word know. You know him. The Greek word behind the English word know in this verse is the kind of knowledge that is intimate and personal. It is not that believers know the facts about God. They do that, but more is intended here. They know some facts, but they know more than the facts. But they know Him in a personal and intimate way. You know the Holy Spirit in a personal and intimate way. You know God in a way that the world does not know him. The world does not know, but you do. You know him. Many in the world know the facts about God. They can tell you things about God. Yeah, God created the heavens and the earth. That Yeah, God, uh, Jesus Christ was God. He was born in the manger. Yes, uh, they know him. The angel, fallen angel, Satan himself and his followers can tell you. They believe things about God. The angels believe things about God and they tremble. Fallen angels. Demons. You know Him. The world cannot receive Him because they don't know Him, but you know Him. You know God in a personal and intimate way. But the same word is used in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ toward His children. The same is true of God. He knows his children in an intimate and personal way. John chapter 10. Go back to John 10 in a few, few chapters back. Look in verse 14 and 17. John 10, 14. John 10, 14. The scripture says in John 10 and verse 14, I am the good shepherd. And what? Know my sheep. This word know is exactly the same word Jesus Christ is using, talking about the disciples who know the Holy Spirit. I am the good shepherd. I know with a personal and intimate knowledge my sheep. And am known, exactly the same word, they know me in a personal and intimate way. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them in a personal and intimate way, and because I know them in a personal intimate way, they follow me. And the next verse says, I give unto them eternal life. On the other hand, the world does not know God. Verse 17, whom the world cannot receive. Why? John 14, 17, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. The same Greek word is used. Here we are being taught by our Lord Jesus Christ. You know God. You know the Spirit of God in a personal and intimate way. But the world does not, cannot receive Him because they do not know Him in a personal and intimate way. Exactly the same word. They don't know God. They don't know the Son of God. They know the Spirit of God. They know about God. But they do not desire to have, nor do they have the natural ability to know Him in a personal and intimate manner. They have no heart 
to know God in that way. You can talk on the surface to the world about God and they have some facts. But you can't get below that to the heart of the matter where the truth of things lie in the spiritual realm. Many people can talk on this surface over here. I've talked to many in this community up here. But only to true Christians do we get down into the heart of the matter to know God in a way that up here does not know God. Now, with regard to the world, the exact same word is used with God. The exact same word used regarding God, not knowing sinners in a personal and intimate way. Go over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. Our Lord is saying, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils. In thy name done many wonderful works, miraculous works. And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. There's our word. Of believers, you know him. You know God in a personal, intimate way. Of God toward believers, I know my sheep in a personal, intimate way. Of the world, you cannot receive the Spirit because you do not know him. You have no knowledge of a Spirit of God or God in a personal, intimate way. Of God toward the world, I never knew you. I never knew you. This is how that word is used in the scriptures. Those known of God are saved of God. If you are here this morning and you are not saved, you don't want to stay in this condition where you don't know God. You want to come over here with the believers. We used to sing a song a long time ago. It said, come, I've forgotten the exact words, but come with us on our joyful journey or something. You remember that song, Come Along With Us? Or Anyway, I've forgotten. I'll have to look it up. But I would say, come, lost one, come, sinner, come with us. We're going to heaven. Why would you remain over here going to hell? Come with us. You say, Brother Pat, why do I need Christ? Because without this knowledge of God, you will not enter into glory. You need a Savior. You need a Savior. The second thing about believers found in John 14, 17 is this. He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, though our Lord is speaking specifically of the Holy Spirit in this text, Yet it is true that all three persons of the Godhead dwell in a believer. All three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, dwell in a true believer. He does not dwell with them in the wor of the world. But in a believer, all three persons are present. God is present with us. Let me give you three texts to prove it. Ephesians 4 and verse 6, those of you that are taking notes. Ephesians 4, 6 says, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, speaking to saints and in you all. Ephesians 4, 6. In you. Is the Father in you? If you're a believer, He is. The Son of God. Colossians 1, 27. For those of you taking notes, Colossians 1, 27 says, Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you. 1 Corinthians 6.19. 
The Father is in us, the Son is in us, and the Holy Spirit is in us. God is dwelling with His people. In fact, this is a good definition of true Christianity. The old-timers that I've read in books used to say, Christianity is God in the soul. God in the soul. It is not what you've done for God. It is what God has done for you. It is not what you know about God as far as the facts. It is God in you. Dwelling with you and in you. The world does not have that. Only God's children have the blessed privilege of God with them and God in them. The world is divided up into two groups of people. The world who cannot receive the Holy Spirit and does not know Him. And followers of Jesus Christ who not only receive Him but the Father and the Son also and know the living God. In these verses, once again in the Gospel of John, our Lord divides the world up into two groups of people. I've preached on this concept before as it shows up in the Scriptures. But in the Gospel of John, here it is again. The first group, those who cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Those who will no longer see the Lord Jesus Christ. The second group, those who know the Holy Spirit and have Him dwelling with them. And those who see the Lord Jesus Christ, even though... He is no longer on the earth, but has died, was buried, rose again, and ascended in heaven. And now he is in heaven, but we see him. How is it that we see? We see by faith. Moses saw that which was invisible. Talk about a contradiction of terms. If you just use the word see in a physical sense, you can't see that which is invisible. Children, you are breathing. Can you see the air? No. <laughs> but you are breathing it. In a physical realm, you can't see, but you are breathing it. In a spiritual realm, God is invisible, but we can see. We know He exists. Because of what the scriptures teach us concerning him. Brother Pat, how do you know there's a heaven? You've never been there. Oh, I know there is. Why? Because the scriptures teach us that there's a heaven. How do you know Jesus Christ is there? You had never been there to see him. How do you know he's there? Because the scripture says he's ascended on high and there he's interceding for me. How do you know these things? Because the word of God teaches us. We see them by faith. The truth of God's word is in our hearts. There are only two groups of people on the face of this earth, brethren. And throughout all of history, from Adam until the end of time, there will always only be two groups of people. Brother Pat, why are there so many religions? There isn't. There's only two. One is a group that thinks by their works... They can do something to get to heaven. The other who knows there's nothing they can do. God have mercy upon my soul. I'm the sinner. Those are the only two groups of people on the face of the earth. The world and the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And once again in our text, our Lord has set that before us. The world, they consist of all who are sinners, but who have no desire to become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second group is called believers or followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That group consists of all who were sinners, but who sought the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith, who had their sins forgiven, and who were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, and because God is in them, continue to follow the Lord Jesus Christ all the way into glory. That's the only two groups of people there are. And this truth is throughout all of the Gospel of John. Let's go back to the first chapter of John. John chapter 1. Go back to the first. 
I'll turn there with you, even though I have my notes in front of me. John chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 10. Look at what the scripture says. As we've seen this from the opening verses of the gospel of John, we've seen this truth. John 1 verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, speaking of Israel, and His own received Him not. Here they are in the world, and they don't know Him. But, verse 12, as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood or the flesh or the will of man, but of God. God birthed them into His kingdom, and they received Christ as their Savior. The world was made by Him. He came to it. The world knew Him not. But this group believed on Him. You see that from the opening pages of, God, of the Gospel of John, look at John 3. Look in verse 18. One verse. John 3, 18. He that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Two groups of people. Look in verse 36, John 3 and verse 36. John 3, 36. He that believeth hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. He that believeth hath everlasting life. He that believeth does not have it. Two groups of people. John chapter 15, verse 19. As we go past our text, this theme continues. John 15, verse 19. John 15, verse 19. In the middle part of the verse. You are not of the world. You are not of the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. John 16 and verse 33. John 16 and verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And you live in the world with peace, even though the world will give you tribulation. Now go to John 17. John 17, I want you to see, this is the, what we call the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is right before the Judas brings the crowd into the Garden of Gethsemane. And our Lord is praying. John 17 in verse 6. He's praying to his Father in heaven. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were... And thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. You gave me those out of the world, and you gave them to me, and I have given, ministered your word to them. Verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Wow, what a powerful statement. Our Lord Jesus Christ, acting as the Savior who offers, as a high priest to offer a sacrifice and then pray for those for whom the sacrifice was offered. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Why do you need to come over here? Because you will become the recipients of the prayers of Christ over here in the world. There is no prayers for, from Christ on your behalf. Thine they were, I pray not for the world, but for them which it, thou hast given me, for they are thine. Verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, 
even as I am not of the world. You see the contrast. Look in verse 40, 25. Verse 25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee. What a contrast. These two things, the world and the followers of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ divides the world up into two groups. The next thing we read in John 14, the next thing we read in verse 19, John 14, 19. He says in John 14, 19, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you see me, because I live, you shall live also. You see me, and because I live, you shall live also. We move now to our Lord focusing on the believers and his instructions to them. Life and the ability to see are connected together in verse 19. You see me because I live and you shall live also. You see me and because I live, seeing and living are together here in this verse. In the physical realm, Life and sight are not necessarily connected. You might be alive but blind and not able to see physically. But in the spiritual realm, life and the ability to see are connected. You cannot be alive in Christ and not be able to see spiritual things. They go together. They go together. Again, let me review the scriptures. In the spiritual realm, spiritual life and spiritual sight are connected. In the spiritual realm, a man cannot see until and unless he has life. But once he has spiritual life, then he has spiritual sight. They go together. All sinners are born blind to the things of God. We've already talked about that. We've already seen in the scriptures, you cannot see unless you're born again. When they are born again by the Spirit of God, they are given life. But with that comes the ability to see. If you are born again, then you can see the kingdom of God. To be born again means that the sinner has been born from above, born of God. God has done something for him. And in that moment that God has done something for him, he has life and sight. He is blind before. And he's dead before. And now he's alive and can see. He is blind. And the gospel light is before him. And he can't see. And the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, is before him. And he can't see. And then God does something. And now we can see, and there's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he embraces him as Lord and Savior. The old timers used to sing a song. What was it? I see the light. And we sort of put that song away. You know, I see the light. I finally see. They were saying something in a very simple way about a very profound doctrine. You can't see Unless God gives you the ability to see. And then, wow, the things we begin to see. The things we begin to understand. When our Lord says, because I live, you shall live. He is not saying you will receive everlasting life at some point when you get to heaven. Also, our Lord does not say, because I live future tense as though it were future tense because it's not you shall also live by that I mean he is not saying after the resurrection when I've died was buried and rose again then you'll have life he's not saying that what is our Lord saying because I live you shall live also our Lord knows that physical death is only a few hours away He knows that he is facing Calvary's cross. In fact, he and his disciples 
are about to leave Bethany and go to Jerusalem where Judas and that crowd will come into the Garden of Gethsemane and take him to the cross later that evening, early morning hours. It is only hours away before he will hang on that cross at Calvary. He knows death is in his pathway as he is walking with his disciples. And despite that, he says, because I live. The word here is, I am always present tense alive. Do you understand God is not past or future tense, but present? I am, right? God doesn't speak of himself as I was or I will be, but I am. Life is right before them. Because I'm life, because I live, you're going to live also. Because I am present tense, alive. And because I am present tense, life. Though he's about to face physical death, he will not cease to possess everlasting life. He is God. And God is always present tense, life. Present tense, light. God is always, I am. The very nature of God is life. In Him is life. The very nature of God is life. The Christian life depends upon the Lord Jesus Christ being life. When you are born again, when you repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are inseparably joined together with life, with the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to faith in Christ and we're joined with Him, His life, everlasting life, is given to us. And we live. That's how come He can say, even though you die, you're going to be alive. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me shall never die. And he that dieth is alive still. Physical death has no power over spiritual life. Physical death has no power over spiritual life. We see this truth throughout this gospel. John 1 and verse 4. In him was life. John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. John 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. And then in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. John records, and this is the record. That God has given unto us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. This is God's record. God has given eternal life. And he that hath the Son has it. And he that does not have the Son does not have it. Every sinner who has repented of their sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior has had life bestowed upon them, has had life gifted to them, those who have called on the Lord Jesus Christ to save them from their sins have been given life in place of their death. They have been given light in place of their darkness. They have been given truth in place of their error. And they have been given freedom in place of their bondage. Life has come to them. And because I live, he says, you will live also. And at that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, 
and you in me and I in you. And this is where we will end this morning. In that day, you shall know. Now, we've already talked very often about how little the apostles understood, how little the disciples understood during the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. But they were believers, nonetheless. They didn't understand the resurrection. They didn't understand the kingdom. There was much they didn't understand. They didn't understand the necessity of the cross. There was much they did not understand. Slowly, little by little, our Lord was teaching them, and they were growing in their understanding, but still they lacked so much. Later in, the chapter, in chapter 15 and 16, he will tell them, I have so much to tell you, but now is not the time. But when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to lead you into all truth. But in that state, he has been talking to them, and we've already addressed this on a number of occasions, how he and the Father are one. He started teaching that in John chapter 5. And remember the Jews picked up stones to stone him because he said that he and his father were the same, making himself equal with God. And then in chapter 6 and again in chapter 7 and chapter 8, it came to in blows where he said, you were of your father the devil. And in John chapter 10, he reminds them again that I and the father are one. And in chapter 11, now we come through to chapter 14 and he's says, I'm going to pray the Father give you the Holy Spirit. And in that day, you're going to understand the unity of the Godhead. You're going to understand more clearly that I and the Father are bound together. I am in Him, He is in me. And you are in me, and I'm in you. What takes place to give them that understanding? Well, of course, it's related to the sending of the Holy Spirit. But that day includes more than just the sending of the Holy Spirit. It includes His death, His burial, His resurrection. After that, after His death, burial, and resurrection, it returned, our Lord returned to His Father. And He and His Father send the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. When the Holy Spirit is bestowed upon those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, they begin to come, or they've come to know with assurance that the Lord Jesus Christ and His Father are one, and that all true believers are one with them. What has happened to make that come to pass? First, Let's say this, read the sentence again. You shall know that I am in my Father, and you are ye in me, and I in you. These are the three things you will come to know and understand. Several things have taken place. First, our Lord has died at Calvary's cross and has ascended and back to the Father. And because the Father was pleased to accept His sacrifice, the sacrifice that He made on behalf of His people, the Father is now satisfied. And I don't know if we fully understand how important that is in relation to what our Lord is saying here. We are one with God because God is satisfied with the sacrifice Jesus Christ has made for us. We are bound to God and united to Him because God has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Not by what we have done for God, but what He has done for us. And that has brought us into a union with Christ, and Christ is in a union with His Father. When Christ, when God in Isaiah 53, 11 says that he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. That moment at that cross when God was satisfied, when Christ put away the sins of his people, they're bound together. Bound together. One, united with God. The second thing, 
our Lord returned to his father and entered into his ministry, interceding on behalf of those for whom he has died. He is our great high priest in heaven, and he is praying for us. I've already mentioned John 17, 9. Go with me back over there to John 17. Verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now drop down to verse 20. John 17, 20. Neither pray I for these alone, talking about his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. If you are a believer this morning, our Lord is praying. That union with the Father, the Father and the Son together, and Christ interceding for us before the Father. Brethren, no one can lay an accusation before the Father on our behalf. Do you remember what happened to Job? Satan before the Father? Yeah, well, he's thus and thus and thus and thus, right? Accusing him before the Father. When Jesus Christ has died on our behalf, brethren, and he stands before the Father interceding for us, Satan cannot accuse us. Yeah, but brother, but God, what about that Pat Horner? What about him? When I open the book, I don't see anything. Five bleeding wounds plead for mercy before the throne of grace. One, two, three, four, five bleeding wounds plead for mercy on my behalf before the throne of grace. And I am bound in Christ and he is in me and he is in the Father and we are united and nothing can separate us from the love of God. He is interceding for us after he has died for us and that death has been accepted. Now he prays for us that that sacrifice might be effectual. And then our Lord died and returned to his Father so that those for whom he died might be accepted in the very throne room of heaven. Ephesians 1 verse 6 to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The kings used to have a, a, a golden scepter and, and someone would come to the door. You know, over there's the king just sitting up here on his big throne. He's got his scepter. Someone comes to the door and just kind of stands there. Uh, and he looks up and he lifts his scepter. You can come. And they come and they touch and they bow. They have permission to enter. God sitting on his throne. We're not waiting at the door for permission. We just walk in. Because we're already accepted there because of what Christ has done for us. I'm not standing at the door for waiting for permission waiting to find out if there's anything that keeps me out of heaven. I'm not standing there trembling, wondering if I've done good enough. I just walk into the very presence of God. Because Christ is in me and I'm in Him and we are bound together in the Father. And I'm accepted in heaven's throne room. And finally, our Lord returned to His Father so His followers would begin to more fully realize that he and the Father are one and he is in them to make them one with the Father also. I've been saying that now I'm going to back it up with scripture. John 17 John 17 verse 21 Jesus Christ is praying and he's talking about in the early prayer part of his life about his sacrifice and how he's given the disciple his word and how he's praying for them. In John 17, 21, now he prays that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee 
that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. One in us. And the glory, verse 22, that which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 23, I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. In John 14, in verse 20, our Lord says, At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and I am in you, and you are in me, and we are bound together. And I can't wait as this begins, this truth opens up more in the next following chapters. Chapter 15, abide in me and I in you. Chapter 16 and 17, for us to begin to slowly, as it took these disciples, to understand what it means that Jesus Christ has died for me and what kind of a relationship I have with God because of that. That I might learn from the scriptures, being taught by the Spirit of God, and that we as a church may learn from the scriptures, being taught by the Spirit of God, what it means that the Father and the Son are one, and that the Son is in us, and we are in them, bound together, inseparable for all eternity. Because I, present tense, have life, you have it. And I'm with the Father, and He is with me, and I'm in you, and you are with me. And brethren, the truth of that has an impact upon our lives. And may God teach us as we go along. You that are here without Christ, what, a, what a, an abundance of blessings from God that you do not have because you have not believed on Jesus Christ. How much you're missing. The world can give you things. I know that. I was in the world and of the world for 24 years. I know what the world can give. But it also robs you of God. Without Him, you have nothing. When the world perishes, and it will, you have nothing. May God deal with our hearts this morning and show us the great need we have of a Savior. And may your heart be moved by the Spirit of God to come to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness and mercy and seek Him to save your soul. Father, bless your word.